You're listening to Her Body on Body IOFM, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance, with your host, Alex Navarro. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body brought to you by Body IOFM. I'm your host, Alex Navarro. And we have uh, Kiefer here in studio with us today. Hello, everybody. Thanks again for joining me. Of course. Uh, today's topic is one that I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited and interested to listen in on. The hot topic of hits, cardio, to be more specific. Um, but also, I'd like to touch on walking because walking is extremely important, uh, I think, for everybody, really. But uh, very underutilized easy additive to one's regimen. Would you agree? I would agree, yeah. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions around why it's important, what it, the benefits are of it, mm-hmm. and also when and where the best place to throw a hit in is. Because that one, I mean, of, of all the questions I get besides, you know, tell me what to eat, that question is probably the most frequently asked. Yeah, it's it's an interesting scenario because, you know, we usually focus on the idea of fat burning and what's going to burn more fat at a certain time. And the new material, it, everything I've learned, actually, the amount of fat you burn is actually inconsequential in the moment. So that radically changes how we would view any type of exercise, especially all the varieties of aerobic exercise. Whether that's hit, which is has components of aerobic and anaerobic, or you know running casually, which is still not a good idea, or walking, so it, it kind of changes the concept of each of those and what we're using them for, right? Which we can talk about on here, definitely. And I mean, this is this is something that I struggled with a lot early on when I first adopted carb night and, and shockwave protocol and, and really hits um, the way that we do them now. And it was a huge mental shift for me coming come from that cardio queen <laughs> background that I actually hated, luckily enough, um, but had gotten so used to using that as one of the main tools for, you know, whether it was getting stage ready or just trying to not uh, fluff up after a show and also using that as a way to fix any you know, damage I may have caused in eating something I wasn't supposed to eat. So, so how did you get start? I'm just curious how that became, how that inundated your training program for those different things. Like, where did that come from? Just honestly, somebody told me to. So, just and like I blindly followed because what was interesting is when some, I first somebody. So, is somebody. this an expert, a coach? Yes, some, uh, a, a well-known coach. Okay. Yes, in in the competition scene. And what's interesting is the first two years that I competed, I did it on my own, really just kind of going by instinct. I ate intuitively. Um, I hated cardio, so I never did it. And I was like, well, I'd rather just play with the diet and, and lift like crazy if I can. And I did really well. And it wasn't until when I hired a well-known coach that I, then I was, they were, I was told, you should be doing cardio. Like, this is going to make a huge difference for you. So I started incorporating it in. Well, it did make a huge difference, just <laughs> Not the in the direction. way that I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I 
looking back, I did a combination of hits, but they the interval breakdown was very different than what we're going to talk about today. Um, I did a lot of steady state cardio, which was the worst. I mean, talk about bored off your ass and feeling, I mean, you're literally just like on the elliptical. <laughs> I yeah. hate that thing. I don't think I've been on it since. Um, but, you know, I really got kind of sucked into that mindset. And especially because I was having a hard time controlling the food in the way that they prescribed it. You know, if I did sort of fall off the wagon or have something here or there that I wasn't supposed to have, the result was, oh, you have to go do X amount of cardio. In fact, I, I clearly remember having a conversation about alcohol. And it was any drink, any drink, regardless of what it was, was 45 minutes of cardio. And I literally like locked that away. And that was the mindset I had for years. Which it makes no sense whatsoever. Agreed. Agreed. But I mean, again, I was young. <laughs> I didn't know. And, and I'm hiring this this professional who's, you know, coached hundreds, maybe thousands of women successfully. And, you know, I just I followed it. And and I, I struggled more than I ever had before. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, it's it's the question of trust. Mm-hmm. And who is it that you trust when, for what reason, and what do you base that trust off of? And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, these days that's really difficult to make that judgment call. I mean, do you trust somebody because they've had so many clients who've gotten stage ready and made it to a certain level? Right. And then when you're in the industry, you realize those people that work on those, you know, predicated for their trust, mm-hmm. you know, they're giving their clients drugs. So now it's like, okay, or they're they're doing other things. I mean, there was a big shakeup in the um, what well, NPC yeah. here in California because of some really shady stuff going on <laughs> yep. behind the scenes for who would win. And when I say shady, I mean, it was basically extortion. Yeah. You know, judges, head judges were extorting the clients and the extortion was being propagated by certain coaches. So, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, and then, you know, and that's just how bad it can be. Uh, you know, and I, I just think that makes it really difficult for people to, to know who to trust. And you just, absolutely, you know, maybe your scenario wasn't, you know, your coach wasn't involved in those kind of things. And in a yeah. way she kind of is because she can, or that coach can extort certain shows because right. she has such a volume of right. clients. There's still a political pull for sure. Right. So your trust is predicated on somebody who's learned to play the political game. Yep. I mean, we're experiencing <laughs> the fallout of that right now, yes. you know, with all these, you know, demonstrations that are going on mm-hmm. or whatever people trusted for one reason and now don't trust for another reason. And it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think part of, you know, and I can... I don't want to blame myself, but I can take responsibility for the fact that I also didn't question anything. Even even in all of those moments where I felt like something wasn't right, mm-hmm. like not understanding and not getting a good explanation, like I still didn't question enough, which I, I feel like I should have. And perhaps if I just either didn't get the answers that made sense or didn't get answers at all, which ended up turning out to be the case Mm -hmm. uh you know there wasn't any rationale when i did ask you know those are red flags and i should have (laughs) seen those right and and taken that as okay maybe this isn't right for me yeah or really right for anybody but you know that's another story yeah it's it's just tough because you've got really good bullshitters out there too it's true i mean pardon my pardon my language (laughs) well and it's again it's hard to see 
you know, some successes here and there that this mm-hmm. that this coach has had. Uh, you know, my first show that I did with them, it did go well. But again, just like a lot of you probably experienced it, having gone through from different diets, one diet to another, the first time, it always kind of works. Yeah. It's the second and third and fourth time where things get really hard because it catches up with you. And right. and that's that's the point that I should have questioned things. Yeah. And, and when you stepped away from that dietary regime, you moved to more carb night and you stepped away from the cardio, you yeah. had like a banner year and a half, two years. Yeah. Yes. Which, uh, again, more more of a mental challenge than anything else. And I and I specifically remember sending you an email after the first few weeks asking if there was anything more I could be doing. Because (laughs) (laughs) I really, you know, having come from like literally a part time job of working out to a couple hours a week and feeling amazing all the time, I was like, something's I could do more. (laughs) And you're like, why would you want to do more? (laughs) Right. Well, it just didn't make sense. But I didn't understand. I hadn't made that shift yet. And I was still in the trusting phase. It was still early on. And I was like, just wanted to be open to experiencing this new way. Um, but it literally was. It was me having these conversations with my myself. Like, just just do what you're told to do. Still ask questions. And luckily, you, you know, uh, are like yeah, sharing. Yeah, everything yeah, for exactly. you. exactly. He gave me all the answers that I needed. Um, but it was still hard to wrap my head around because it was so different at the time. And, I mean, this was so early on when... Carbonite was brand new, and I remember telling one person about it and the lack of of exercise and cardio that I was doing, and they said that I was crazy. They was like, there's no way this is going to work. All this fat you're eating, you're, you had ice cream the other day, like there's no way this is a good idea. And I remember saying, I'm not going to tell anybody else. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to experience it. I'm going to see how it goes. And after the first show, if things go well, then I'll share it. <laughs> and I did. And within the, those first six weeks, it was literally six weeks to the first show mm-hmm. that I did. And uh, after that, and I went, honestly, I went in with the mindset of, I'm just going to give this a try for this show. If it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to whatever way of eating <laughs> probably I could figure out at the time. And I was sold at the end. I mean, using it to then go into Christmas and not feeling like, because it was a November show that I did. Well, I still remember how I approached you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but hold on, hold on. Going into Christmas, because I had always done this November show. So going into into the holidays right after the last show of the year is really hard because... Well, yeah, right. it's you. There's food, and you want to enjoy yourself, and you've been super strict. And in the past, that had, was my winter fluff had had been put on, and then coming, you know, off of that six week prep with carbonite and and shockwave protocol, and then going into Christmas and having it be like the easiest thing I've ever done, <laughs> and feeling great and looking good and feeling strong and and enjoying Christmas. It was that's literally like. You know, getting to stage sold me, but that literally like sealed the deal. After that, I was like, okay, this is, I'm going to do this probably forever. And that was seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> long time. <clears throat> was it that long ago? Yeah, it was 2010. Was it? Yep. Oh, yeah, I guess it was because mm-hmm. it was before I wrote Car Backloading. Yep. Uh, Which was then time. very exciting because I got a little piece of Car Backloading at the time and I was like, ooh, this yeah, is, was... this is going to be fun. That's a long time <laughs> Could ago. Could have my cake and eat it too. Like, all the time. Yeah, Shockwave <laughs> Protocol didn't even have a name. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Which was really fun. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we'll kind of touch on that a little bit more when we get into the, the hits and sort of, you know, there is a time and a place for them. Yeah. And. Uh, well, you just have to understand what it's doing and how that affects your end goal. Mm-hmm. And it's not, the end goal isn't what's happening exactly in that moment. It's what are you, what effects are you triggering that, that hit or whatever type of cardio how is that going to influence, say, the next day or the next week or so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the big question. And that's what makes, you know, it just causes a lot of confusion because some studies look at exactly what's happening during the exercise. Some of them are looking mm-hmm. at, well, what are the end results at the end of if this group does hit and this group doesn't do hit? What are the results at the end of six weeks? And Again, unless you have some underlying understanding of what's going on across those scenarios, you come up with some really contradictory answers. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the confusion. And to be honest, those confusing results made it difficult for me to pinpoint exactly, you know, when when you should do what, why you should do what, mm-hmm. if there's any reason to do certain things or not. <laughs> Which I'm sure was hard, and it's hard, you know, it's it's one thing when you're looking at the research and trying to, you know, explain it in a way for people to understand, but then it's another for them to take that information kind of like with, with myself and, and make that mindset shift. Yeah. Um, because one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, oh, I overdid a carb night or I had too many. How many hits should I add in to fix that? Like there's this fixing mentality of, oh, I did this wrong. I need to do this to make up for it. Um, You know, there's that. And then there's also, oh, I'm trying to lean out and I want to speed it up. Right. Which there's (laughs) physiological limits to that. Mm -hmm. Which is also why, I mean, we can talk, touch on this in a second, but the cycling of them can Mm -hmm. be very beneficial. Right. Over just having them be a consistent addition to your training. Yes. Or we we're talking about the hit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> or cardio, whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and you had written an article which was was super helpful at the time. It was anabolic, anabolic cardio. Yeah. I want to say it was called. Yeah, I remember. I'm pretty that. sure. Um, which I think was a good explanation, and you and you did give really good hit uh, interval breakdowns, and and let's just maybe touch on that for a second because. Like I had mentioned, I did hit before pre-carb night mm-hmm. and uh, in shockwave, but it was a very different interval breakdown. And I remember the first time I did a hit that you prescribed, I honestly I was really bored. Like, well, yeah, they're not. There's not a lot to them, right? Well, and I was, you know, again coming from like <laughs> you do it until you're like a hot, sweaty mess, and you're you can't talk, and you know you need that intensity for the entire time for it to be effective. Right. And then you give me this, you know, go for hard for 30 seconds and then basically putts around for like four minutes. And I'm just thinking like I'm walking for four minutes. I'm like, oh, this is such a waste of time. <laughs> well, yeah, it kind of feels that way. It's it's exactly equivalent though, if you think about it in you know the research for resistance training, you know, you get the largest growth effects if you go all out for your set and then you wait mm-hmm. three to five minutes between the between the sets, it's kind of kind of the same thing. 
Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that's, for me at least, and maybe some of you have experienced who've, who've uh, played with sh- the shockwave protocol, and that is once I got away from doing any additional hits, a lot of shockwave mimics that, like, perfectly. Yeah. And so when people ask me, oh, you don't go to cardio, cardio, and I'm like, well, it's kind of thrown in there accidentally, but not really. Well, it's it's really a matter of trying to get the maximum power output. If you, you know, like having to consolidate all this information on diet is one thing, and then you've got to consolidate all this information on exercise Mm -hmm. as well. And when you start to really model what's going on in the human body, you find really the consistent thing for results And by results, I mean preservation or increase of lean muscle tissue, loss of body fat, increase of endurance. All of those things depend most heavily on the power output. Mm -hmm. And that's an important differentiator because power is the amount of work you do and the time you do it. So if you look at your power output for running, I mean, you could run for three hours and your power output's actually not very high because you're not doing a lot of work. Right. And and you want to last. Right. And that amount of work last. that you're doing is spread out over three hours. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the gym, you're doing a massive amount of work, uh, whether it's if you're doing hit because you're doing a lot of intensity or if you're lifting weights, you're doing a lot of intensity. And mm-hmm. even in that regard, until it becomes too much, CrossFit is a high power output exercise. Oh, yeah. And that's because there's a ton of work being done in a short amount of time. And so when you look at it that way, that really helps to kind of level the different exercises. You can say, okay, well, HIT has basically the same power output as resistance training, so you would expect similar results, and mm-hmm. you get similar results. Uh, and, you know, walking, well, walking is a special situation, uh, strangely enough. So we'll, we'll change that to, you know, different types of endurance training, then you can kind of equate those based on the power output. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes bicycling when you study bicycling for endurance exercise versus running you get really big discrepancies in effects Hmm. and it's because bicycling is actually really high power output it turns out because you're going so much faster the wind resistance causes Um, a massive force and you have massive power output because of that yeah the power output Mm -hmm. goes like well the cube of the velocity. <laughs> so to give you a difference, you know, if you're running, you barely hit that cube factor. You get like, maybe let's say the power factor is two, normal walking. And then you're running and that, that because your velocity is now twice as fast, mm-hmm. you square that. And so it's four. And you, so it's four times the out power output of, of running, you know, yeah. it's a pretty big difference. But now let's say you're on a bicycle and you're literally going five times as fast. So five times two is 10. Now cube that. Mm-hmm. 10 times 10 is 100 times 10 is 1,000. You've now got 1,000 yeah. times the power output. That's massive. And that that causes a lot of discrepancies. It's like, well, it's, it's aerobic exercise. Well, yeah, but your power output's massive right. compared to running. That makes sense. Yeah, running, just steady state running is kind of just, I don't want to say stupid. Because you just might have some 
goal around it and I can understand goal-oriented behavior, but it's, it's really just useless. Unless your goal is running. It's not really right. fitting well, for right. health or aesthetics. Definitely yeah. not. It's kind of like those people who are into the massive masochistic body piercings where they'll like put hooks through their skin and hang from the ceiling by their back. <laughs> I mean, if that's your goal, okay, it's, well, then it's you know, it's like, kind of impressive that you can control your pain in that way, mm-hmm. yeah. but it is doing absolutely nothing positive for you <laughs> in any sense of the word. Yeah. And running's kind of the same, you know, it literally psychologically and end result mm-hmm. is not very different. Right, right. There's just the the misrepresentation of its benefits. Correct. Just like a lot of other things that we've talked about on the show. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, when you set goals for running, it's where do the benefits begin and where do they end? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where everybody should stay. You know, they should kind of stay in that range. If, yeah. if your goal is to run a marathon, then, you know, great. Right. Um and that, that can be said for, you know, we talk about goals all the time and really prioritizing what your main one is, you know, what your primary focus is and, and ad- adjusting, modifying everything else in your lifestyle to fit that. Um, whereas, you know, running, a lot of people go into it, you know, whether it might be to, to run a marathon. Okay, usually that's not, the goal isn't to like run that far. It's it's for like a fundraising event. There's a reason behind it. Uh, maybe it's an emotional reason, you know. If it's a breast cancer run, something like that, that's one motivation. But if you're running to look good, yeah, that's that would be different. Obviously, not fitting. I haven't seen very many runners who look at least like I would want to look personally. Well, yeah, just look at the last Olympics and look for pictures of, let's say, high jumpers because they basically just have to sprint. Female high jumpers. They look amazing. They're like <clears throat> very statuesque. Yeah, they're only. Their only cardio is that sprint practice that they do. So it's kind of like hit. And the power of the explosiveness that they have to get right. themselves over and, that. And then look at the Olympic marathon runners, the distance runners. I, I feel know. like I can break them. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Mm-hmm. So I actually, we used that a couple months. Sorry, everybody. We had to pause for a second because we were both having... A little coughing having, fit. Yeah, <laughs> throat clearing issues. Prefer to do that off the air so we don't make you right. deaf. <laughs> from hacking away. So we were talking about uh, the difference aesthetically between sprinters and, and marathon runners. And we've mentioned this before back actually during the Olympics. We talked about sort of body, the body types of all these various sports and how you know the, the type of activity that they do in that sport, uh, how that shapes how they look and the difference and using that as a reference of, okay, if this is how you want to look, these are the types of activities specifically for aesthetics that you would want to do. Right. But also keeping in mind that if you choose an activity, that this is how you might end up looking, whether that's the end goal or not. Right. And the, the fo- it's not really, you know, there might be a focus on aesthetics for your goal. And I'm, I'm not going to be judgmental about whatever your aesthetic goal is. But you do have to realize also that there are very important reasons why certain aesthetics do represent health and certain aesthetics do not Mm -hmm. and you know it's not that you should be trying to achieve that aesthetic it's just realizing that moving in that direction is a healthy direction whereas moving towards a different one is an unhealthy direction Mm -hmm. and i'm again i'm not trying to put any 
value judgment on your aesthetic or how you look right now. That's that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what direction is it you're trying to go and go, and what does that direction represent? So if there's a mar- somebody who wants to be a world class marathon runner, they're going to have low levels of body fat, which everybody thinks is awesome, but they're also going to have very low levels of skeletal muscle tissue, mm-hmm. which is a huge problem health wise. You know the all all disease like let's just take cancer since they don't have a high risk of metabolic diseases because they're so lean and they're burning a lot of calories all the time. Let's just go to cancer risk, which is about normal for them. They have a much lower chance of surviving because they have so much less muscle mass. Mm. You know, that's an important factor to keep in mind. And they're also going to have greater difficulty with mobility and greater potential of bone fracture as they age because they have less muscle tissue and that muscle tissue is weaker. So so the aesthetics do really correlate to some meaningful health scenarios, especially as you get older in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I, you know, I'm not trying to put a, a value judgment. I don't care how you look. Mm-hmm. What I care about is how healthy you are and how healthy you're trying to, the, the health that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, which I think is, is also a mixed mes- message that we've been been given for so long because people, doctors especially, use the BMI as a marker for health rather than one's body fat percentage. And so when clients come and they want to lose weight and I, you know, try to emphasize the need to maintain the lean mass they have, if not put more on, it's either received as, well, I don't want to put on muscle because I don't want to look bulky. Or or then if I say, well, in doing that, you know, and and trying to explain the health benefits of adding some lean mass, you know, well, my weight's not going to change then. And and trying to get around that, <laughs> again, that mentality of, well, my weight is, is what I'm focusing on. That's what's relevant here. And, uh, and I actually just had a client do this recently where, and this is why we do other measurements, other forms of measurements mm. besides getting on the scale. The scale actually hadn't moved at all in two months. Um, her pictures looked amazingly different and I used those as a reference, but she finally took measurements again, lost three inches in her waist. Right. I mean, a huge difference. And, but again, getting around that mental shift of now I have to explain again why the scale isn't moving because they don't understand. Well, why my clothes fit better? Why do I look better? But why is the scale not moving? And, and she's a great example of she had come to me having done a lot of cardio and I took it all away from her. All of it. I'm I said, if you feel sure like doing something, it was, it was hard. <laughs> she fought a lot, a lot, a lot with me about that. But, you know, I said, all you can, all you can do is walk and only when you feel really good. That was the, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she really didn't understand. I said, just, you just got to trust me on it. And, uh, and she did luckily, and the proof was there, but we still will have the conversation about the weight. And yeah. now it's okay. When can I start adding hit in? Which is it's, a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult. You're it's literally trying to break down a paradigm that's now forty years old or older, fifty years old almost at this point. And you, we grew up with it. I grew up with that. Uh, you definitely grew up with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what you're trying to do is deconstruct somebody's reality yep. that has been ingrained in them since 
I mean, pretty much since birth for a lot of people, you know, if you're, if you're in your 40s, you were birthed during this climate. Mm -hmm. So your entire life is predicated on this, this idea. Yeah. It's really hard to root that out. Oh, yeah. Well, especially when you have your doctor who's telling you your weight's fine. But it's right. completely not, you know, taking into consideration how much body fat you're carrying. Right. I, I think medical checkups actually are really misleading. Oh, extremely. Because doctors don't know how to – doctors literally have no way to tell if you're healthy. Right. And if you are healthy, they have no way to evaluate that like in, in a really systematic way. And then if there is something wrong but you are – healthy as far as they understand it in the numbers that come back in your blood work they can't do anything for you and even if you're at the last the bottom rung of the range and this is another fine <laughs> example mm -hmm. the last literally the bottom rung of the range in a hormone and they're like well you're still in the range right so you're fine i'm like no right. you're not you're but at it, the bottom of the barrel <laughs> like two more days you could be past it yeah. But that's another conversation. I could go off on a tangent about the doctors. and Yeah, well, and A, you've got to realize that, you, A, or first, you have to realize they were educated right. under the same paradigm we grew up in. Yeah. So, you know, what, what are they going to do differently? Mm -hmm. Their education is all disease-based. And then on top of it, their education on how to evaluate somebody's health it's based solely on these ranges of numbers, and they actually don't understand what those ranges represent. It's just, you know, every once in a while a new number comes out, mm -hmm. or there's a reevaluation of an old number they've been looking at, and they just add that in right. once they're told to add it in. Right. <laughs> so, so they don't even understand what, that, what it necessarily means. If, you know, if somebody's levels, let's say... Let's go cholesterol levels. That's a good one. And the first time they ever get a checkup is in their 30s. And it's outside. It's on the high. Like, mm -hmm. it's outside the high end of the range. Well, their first assumption is, like, you're going to die. And you need to take <laughs> cholesterol-lowering medication. Uh -huh. But what they don't understand is that first initial point actually means nothing. And the problem is we don't have a history of points. Maybe this is somebody right. who naturally has higher cholesterol mm -hmm. levels. Right. And... Something that really supports, you know, that idea, at least in the cholesterol, which this is getting off our topic of hit, but <laughs> at least, it, you know, in that scenario, we know that giving people cholesterol-lowering drugs actually increases their chances of dying early. I mean, so there's there's something wrong with this number, and what's wrong with it is we don't have historical data on every single person right. who we're trying to use this this information on. So right. we're we're really screwing people up because we just... We've got the wrong information. Right. That's all there is to it. Right. And this is actually, and I'll just say one more thing so we can get back on track, but <laughs> having, you know, in working with somebody new, it is helpful. I do recommend that they do get blood work done, whether they're healthy or, you know, I see some, something that needs to be looked at. Again, just to have this, a first round of markers if they've never had them before. Yeah. It's like, get them when you can, whether you're healthy or not, but it's also good to get them when you're healthy so that you have at least a baseline marker moving right. forward to have as a reference because if you wait until you're unhealthy you won't know what right you don't what know changed what, right and well it's even harder because most people are unhealthy before they That's even know true. it right. in their early 20s right. well late teens now so, so your first blood work that you might get you you're 
you could already be in the diseased state. <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> okay, so how can we fix this? We're not going to fix it with it, but uh, <laughs> sort of choosing. Well, I guess it, let's, let's maybe go into, you know, where is HIT relevant? Why would somebody, why would it be of benefit to somebody? And maybe we, let's talk strictly about fat loss for right now, since that's, well, what of most people who come to me are coming to me for. Even if it's like stage mm-hmm. prep, we're still focusing on fat loss, so. Right. So in the idea of fat loss, the, the first thing we've got to throw out is looking at how much fat you're burning during the exercise. Mm-hmm. It's actually not an important number at all. So there's no like special fat burning zone. No. Well, th- there could be. I, I well, I mean not could be. There is. That you know, there are if you are at different intensities, you're going to burn different percentages of fat or carbohydrates. And then also when you've eaten, mm-hmm. will distinctly shift whether you're more fat burning or more carbohydrate burning. So oh, gotcha. So even if you are in the zone. Right. You could be in the zone for not having eaten in the last four hours. Um, and gotcha. then that's one zone. But then you could be in that exact same quote unquote zone, but you ate right before you got on the treadmill. Mm. There is no zone you can get into that will be primarily fat burning. It's just not, not possible. And so, you know, that gives us a different, it, we've got to start looking at it a little bit differently. It's like, what are these things doing for us? And one important thing has to do with, you know, what what's it doing to our muscles? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's different things it could be doing. Uh, in general, we want, at, at the very least, we want our muscle tissue to be preserved. We want to preserve it as much as possible. We would hope that we could spark a little growth. Mm-hmm. Um, HIT does have the potential to do that. But I think the real value of HIT is actually in draining glycogen stores which turns out unfortunately the new book's not out yet but it (laughs) turns out that is a really a key piece of the puzzle in how to change your body fat levels and that's up or down and in this case hit will give you the ability to change your body fat levels to lower levels Mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with how much fat you're going to burn during that hit it's really dependent on how fast you can deplete your glycogen levels and hits actually really effective at that i think eight minutes of hit can get your glycogen stores let's say you're at 100 percent storage <laughs> and i don't mean 100 percent maximum capacity 100 percent normal storage mm-hmm. and you do hit for i think it's like eight or ten minutes it's not very long you can decrease your glycogen levels by over 50 percent it's just wow. you'll wipe them out by about 50 percent Okay, let's go to somebody who's going to do steady state running, pretty good pace. We'll say 70, you know, 60, 70% of, you know, their max heart rate, VO2 max output or whatever. So that's going to take them about three to four hours to get the equivalent amount of glycogen depletion. Right. So, And I thought the four minutes of putzing around was a waste of time. Right. Right. So you can see there's a massive difference here. And really our goal, and this explains why all kinds of different types of exercises and different diets can give such random results. And it really has to do on with how we manage our glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. And and that's, there. there's a lot more around it, but that's kind of the critical one. And so that's, that's why HIT 
particularly on something like carbonite or carb backloading, mm -hmm. well, it, it, it has to be on a diet that is already taking into account that you need to manage your glycogen stores. Car carbonite and carb backloading both do that. And this, actually, the new consolidated theory explains why they're the exact same diet. I mean, they, oh. they, they really do work on the same principles, mm -hmm. and you're just extending certain effects from gotcha. one to the other. But anyway, you know, it's that management. So if you're on a diet that manages that, then hit hits real value is wiping out your, your glycogen stores like carbonite. Maybe not the day after carbonite, but that week, the beginning of that week, you can wipe out your glycogen stores really fast using hit. Whereas if you're doing steady state running, you're not going to touch them. Right. Uh, even if you're walking, you're not going to touch them. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, you know, early on when I made the shift into these, into this way of eating and, and shockwave and using the hits, that was actually a really fun experiment to run was sort of where within the week the hits were placed. And I, I think the most I ever did was like two, maybe three hits mm. in a week, in a given week between, you know, one carb night to the next. And they were 20 minutes or less, if I remember correctly. And uh, it was really interesting to see, you know, how well the hit went the day after carb night versus five days in around my training. And it was a night and day. And, and that actually became my gauge of, okay, how depleted am I? How much gas do I have left in the tank? Right. It's the only reason I say the day after carb night's not ideal is you're because you, well, assuming you had depleted your glycogen levels before having your carb mm -hmm. night, your body's actually, there, there's two things working against you. You've probably got double the normal amount mm -hmm. of glycogen stored. Right. And then the, the first part of that's easy to burn off with the hit. But then at the end of that, you're still set at 100%. Right. So your idea, you know, kind of the idea is like the day after those reserves are kind of protected. Let's, let's say you have your carb night Saturday. Mm -hmm. Sunday, things are a little protected. You know, you can do hit then. You can burn it off to 100%. And then it will naturally decline from... Monday, Tuesday, mm -hmm. Wednesday, and I would say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there is when you would want to do one more just to make sure just stuff's make sure. wiped out. Yeah, yeah, before you get to that carbonate. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's how I would structure it. Mm -hmm. And and I've, I may have explained this before on, on past episodes. I can't remember if this was a conversation on the show with clients specifically, but you know, there's there's an easy way to, f to feel that within yourself in terms of how... <sighs> How well is this going? I mean, there's a difference of, you know, your gas tank is full and you go all out for 30 seconds and it goes well versus, you know, five days in you go to do it and 15 seconds is hard. Yeah. That was very clear and actually a good way of uh, sort of, well, for me at least experimenting with, should I, do I need to do this now? If that first, if I went to go do it and that first round did not go well, I probably don't need to do any more. Right. Like don't, at that point, don't force it. <laughs> you don't need to. Right. And, and you need that maximum output because glycogen stored inside the muscle tissue is your, the fastest access to high amounts of ATP recycling. Mm -hmm. So that's why you feel that, especially if you're trying to work with really high power output. So whether that's a lot of sets resistance training, whether that's the HIT training, whether that's uh, CrossFit, uh, sprinting, going out and doing sprints, mm -hmm. wind sprints. The reason you need those the carbs to 
to have the fuel tank, so to speak. It's not that you don't have enough energy fat-wise. It just is, and it's not that it can't produce as much ATP. The problem is it has to be mobilized and it has to make it into the muscle tissue and there's a few more metabolic steps. Mm. Glycogen is right there. It's immediately accessible and it also helps produce lactate at the beginning of that. So there's a lot of, so you know, you're, people talk about, oh, it's anaerobic exercise. Well, you know, that anaerobic cycle is very inefficient and it's great and it gets to burn a lot of glycogen. And we can see this in models of glycogen burning because in the first up to one second of that really high intensity training, that glycogen is being burned anaerobically mm-hmm. and it's super inefficient. So to tell you how inefficient, you know, normally you can get about um if you're doing if you're producing energy regularly from a gly- from a say glucose molecule you can get about 30 ATP using oxygen if you're not using oxygen it's two. Oh wow so yeah it's a huge <laughs> factor in difference but so that inefficiency here's where we come back to this idea of inefficiency that inefficiency means you got to burn a ton of glycogen to get a little ATP huh. even though it's so inefficient you're only getting two compared to 30 anaerobically so when it's really inefficient you can produce three times as much atp in the same amount of time wow so imagine how much so that means that you're burning a factor of 45 times as much glycogen wow just in that first second Mm -hmm. so that's why these really short burst you know i i'm i'm starting to think that hit should really be limited to maybe 10 seconds on and Which, then give yourself some rest and then 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. There's reasons to build that up, right, you know. Right. Yeah. Which I think is worth mentioning because I get this a lot where where a client thinks that they're doing a hit. Mm-hmm. But when I explain the, what the, that intensity should feel like, most people aren't getting anywhere near that. Right. And I think a lot of it is, you know, you know, and and the clients a lot of clients will have come from a, like a Tabata background. Um, you know, which, which sounds great, but that's not anywhere near the intensity that we're talking about. And and it's an intensity in a very short period of time. So there's going to be a level of experimentation to find that mode, that activity that you can reach that intensity at. And for someone who, you know, like I actually love doing wind sprints, that would be my mode of choice. Mm. But every time I do them, my hip my knee bothers me and at the end of the day I don't know if it's worth it for me to do it so I ended up going to the bike which I hate the bike but it's effective because I can reach that intensity in the necessary amount of time see I love the bike yeah well I used to cycle all the time so it it feels really natural to me well I like running something I don't remember someone said this to me when I was young like you should be able to run fast in case you need to get away from somebody so (laughs) I always had that I need to be able to run really fast just in case See my chase somebody down. Whereas on the bike, I'm like, well, I'm not going to have a bike to jump on. That's true. Well, my <laughs> thought is always I only need to run if the person's much bigger than me. So my motivation is just to have a lot of muscle and then I don't have to run. Well, see, everybody's bigger than me. So that is well, <laughs> just taller than you. There's a difference. I mean, I think you could do some serious damage to somebody I, if you I were upset. I could. I've actually always wondered about that. If I was yeah. put in a situation on what I, kind of damage I could cause. I would not. I mean, I pissed you off strong. before and I was scared that you would like take it to fisticuffs and I might get my ass beat. So I you know, always knew that limit of, okay, need to walk away before Alex is pushed to the edge. <laughs> 
That would be really funny if that we'd, someone would tape that one time. I don't know <laughs> if it would ever happen, but... Um, let's not find out. Let's, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, f- finding that mode is, is going to be really hard. And I think also, too, there's a lot of... For someone who's not used to training like that, mm-hmm. used to have... Has ever reached that intensity, it's uncomfortable. Well, you, you just might not be able to. If, yeah. If you have a serious... Um, metabolic issue and your body fat levels are far outside of where they should be in the in the high level Mm -hmm. then you just might not be able to effectively do hit and that's that's okay there's other options you can work around that but that's just something you've got to keep in mind you just might not be able to physically Mm -hmm. do them and you know that's okay there's there's other options but for you know, people in the mid, mid-level mid or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a small amount of work. But the question is, what's the goal? The goal is to deplete, deplete glycogen levels. Right. And once you realize that's the actual goal, the max, you know, you're getting the most depletion right at that first little, little burst. Mm-hmm. And then you get all kinds of other benefits on top of it. You know, you're not... You, you're not trying to push deep into these... Um, I mean, the the longer you do exercise, period, it just starts going aerobic. You cannot stop that. There's none of this, well, I'm going to push it into the glycolytic. No, the glycolytic's over. You know, within five seconds, you're out of that um, anaerobic cycle. You know, sorry, that that's all there is to it. There's, there's no way around that. It keeps going more and more aerobic. And that aerobic limitation is what really causes fatigue more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So if you're pushing into that regime... And this is what the anabolic cardio is about. Mm -hmm. And this is where you might start trying to extend those sprint periods to exhaustion. Because as those get longer and longer and longer, you actually increase the mitochondrial density Mm. in your muscles. Which is really important, but it's kind of a double-edged blade. So the maximum size that your muscle tissue can obtain is directly related to how much mitochondrial mass you have Uh, so the more mitochondria mass you have the bigger you can make your muscles okay yeah and and this is good that also means that the more mitochondrial mass you have the the easier it is to preserve a lot of muscle mass so these are very important concepts now if you're trying to be so that's the anaerobic portion or that's the anabolic Mm -hmm. portion of hit you know doing hit in the right way can help you reach a new size in resistance training but here's the caveat. It's also the it's kind of so as the muscle gets bigger, it decreases, it has to decrease the mitochondrial mass. So you have this really delicate balance of trying to increase the mitochondrial mass at one point. And then getting bigger while you let that decrease. So you can't just do hit all the time. And this is what Alex, cycling. Yeah. Okay. yeah, this is what Alex brought up earlier with cycling it. You need to use it for a period to increase the amount of mitochondria gotcha. that you have in your muscle. Then you need to back off mm-hmm. because now you need to get the muscle to grow as much as possible without increasing that mitochondrial mass any further. So it's, you know, this interesting interplay mm-hmm. between these two effects, um, you know, we've talked about the software and the modeling, and that was something I put into the software is, you know, how you balance that out. And that is actually a direct consequence 
of the idea of the interference hypothesis. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can use that to really fine tune somebody's goals. Which, I mean, it's going to be super helpful because, I mean, for, my, for lots of reasons, but one, one thing that I find myself battling with um, clients on is those who, you know, we've done the cycling of the hit. It's getting them, you know, once they've done, say, two weeks of incorporating it in and they're seeing great pr progress from it, and now I'm telling them to stop. And they're like, but I'm seeing great progress. Why would I stop? And trying to explain that um, and have them understand it and not just be focusing on, well, this is what just happened. So why wouldn't I keep doing that? It's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. You need to stop so that you can continue to get results. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the body is not really a very good steady state machine. Mm -hmm. And... Well, actually, it can be made to be a great steady state machine, and that's the problem. You'll get results for a while, but then it adapts to be completely steady state, mm -hmm. which means you're not going to see any changes. You just can't. Yeah. And that's why it needs to be mixed up. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And, and keeping in mind, you know, one's diet when you do decide to incorporate it or not, um, because one thing, and this is... I don't work with a lot of men, so I don't know if this is going to be true for them too. But um, women especially, if they go too hard into incorporating the training right away, they're gonna, their appetite's going to increase. They're going to get hungry and it's going to be much harder for them to control the food. Yeah, that's... Why is that? Well, I mean, you have hormonal effects that mm -hmm. we don't. And there's a stronger interplay between estrogen, your lack of testosterone, mm -hmm. and ghrelin. And insulin and leptin and all those other things. So it 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 is going to mess with your hunger control. And that's, that's one reason that carbonite can be so effective for people. And sometimes it's really the only reason to extend out the period between carbonites is if somebody's having real hunger control issues. We can balance those out, but it, it might take some time. And... The way to balance those out is to, I mean, carbs are a powerful driver of hunger signals. So yep. if we can get those out, we can get those hunger signals back under control, male, mm -hmm. female, or otherwise. So, and, you know, those in-between genders, I don't, I don't know why I said otherwise, but there is XO <laughs> and XXY. So yeah. you got to keep those into account. Um, so, you, you know, you car, carbonite is powerfully effective for that and that's why ketogenic diets for a lot of people are so satiating and it's because they've gotten rid of carbs people blame it on ketone ketones do this and it, it, it's actually correlative there's no mm -hmm. there is no super effective ketone so you know bringing that up like ketone supplements i think they're all junk you know there's no science to really i can't tell you how many people email me to try to sell have me sell their ketone products yeah well i was I was hounded. It's really intense. For almost a year. <laughs> and that, that yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you How know. How many it, times do I have to say, no, thanks. I'm it's, good. It's an MLM. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, that makes sense. Then. You know, I, I tried. I had discussions with the guy who owns the company. And we were talking about, like, the science isn't there. You can't make the claims you're making. And your supplement doesn't even <laughs> – here's the thing. They know their supplement doesn't even raise ketone levels above what they go to if you just don't eat for two hours, which most people don't eat for two hours between meals. Right. That's true. Yeah. Their, their supplement oh, literally geez. does nothing, and they know this. <laughs> 
like they know it. So it, you know, it to me that's well. Okay, mm-hmm. I I'll take back. They acknowledged it. They acknowledged the research, okay. but still wanted to argue that somehow their product is magical. Well, because they probably spent years investing in all of this stuff to make this product, they're not just gonna yeah, well, they, not sell it anymore. Yeah, and MLMs, you know. It's a lot of money there. Really, yeah, it's really intense. But um, <laughs> so we're we're also going to talk about walking. Talk yes, because I think that that's a so so one thing that that for someone who's just starting off on on the diet, um, whether it's carb night or carb backloading, I think it can be very helpful to limit the amount of hits you're doing at first to get a baseline for your your food intake. Would you say that might be true? Uh, it it all depends, it really depends person to person. Yeah. Well, I would say we'll, we'll give an example, and I, I mentioned this to for the one client earlier who had come from a really intense cardio background. So, and she wanted to maintain that. There's no way she could have maintained that, and I had, and then get on carb night, and be able to have it be successful because she was running herself into the ground. There, there's no way that that. Would have worked. Or I wouldn't have been able to then properly gauge her needs around the food. Yeah, that those first periods are tough yeah. because there's a lot of information you can glean from how you initialize the diet mm-hmm. and then that first carb night. And again, you know, if you have the right models, which so- the software can just figure it out before you even start, which will help immensely. Mm-hmm. But for somebody who's an athlete, good shape, gets plenty of of rest. I won't say sleep. Uh, I think the sleep thing's, you know, a canard too. Um, who gets plenty of rest? You know, a lot of hits not a bad idea because you just really want to wipe out their glycogen stores. And I would again back backload, not car backload, but I would backload <laughs> the hit towards you know approaching their lat, approaching their carb night. I wouldn't necessarily do it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I would do it towards the end. Just to make sure they're wiped out. Yeah, the goal is always to get those things wiped out. Mm-hmm. We want to recycle those. Mm-hmm. Or we want to cycle through glycogen. We want to wipe it out, and then we want to fill it up. And then we want to wipe it out, and then we want to fill it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's the key component for some people why carbonite doesn't work. And what I didn't understand until, you know, the last year, it's why it didn't work. And some people actually have a propensity to not metabolize glycogen very effectively mm-hmm. um, a vitamin b6 deficiency can seriously compromise your ability to mobilize glycogen mm-hmm. so if somebody's not taking a multivitamin which most a lot most of people, people don't aren't. they mm-hmm. think they don't need to or whatever if they're not taking a, a multivitamin and they're deficient in b6 they're not wiping out their glycogen store so they don't there's they can't really eat very many carbohydrates they could eat at most like maybe 50 or 60 grams which is so, not a big blowout meal. No, it's not. Right. And we had, you know, Nina Teicholtz mm-hmm. did the diet and she really, I mean, she screwed it up in every way you could imagine. And <laughs> she never, never once let her glycogen levels empty out. They mm-hmm. were always full. They were consistently full throughout her entire week. Wow. And so she was unable to really lose any weight. And... You know, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't get a chance to remedy that, and it would have been hard to because I didn't have all the information to mm-hmm. give her uh, to be fully compelling, and and now I do. But you know, that's we're off track of walking again. But again, <laughs> you know, this is 
you know, reasons to not do hit or to do hit or to realize what that hit is for. Right. To use it, if you're going to try to incorporate it, using it as an experimentation to determine right. your, your carb needs or the lack of. Right. And, you know, again, you might be going into it, as Alex pointed out in this client, overtaxed to begin with. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to add that extra level of taxation onto your body. Yeah. Or feel like you need to if you don't want to. Yeah, there's, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. I mean, once I hit that point of realizing that I really didn't need to, I mean, this was a two, and then we'll we'll tie into walking because it's relevant. Um, but the last two shows that I did in 2012, my goal was to prove that you don't need to do cardio to get on stage because that's like unheard of. It's unheard of. And I, I want to say I successfully did it, but that's not true. I ended up doing two 20-minute sessions in the whole, like... <laughs> well, that's because you ate, like, a box of donuts. I really went off on a bender. It was totally my fault. <laughs> yeah. You probably could have gotten away without doing I probably could have, but I wanted to be on the safe side, and uh, I ended up doing two 20-minute 20 20 sessions. The apple fritters guy. Yeah. That, they are so good, these chocolate-covered ones. But, uh, you know, that's that's the extent of the cardio I did, and then beyond that, between that show and then six weeks later, which is the, the world show, all I did was walk. Because, again, I wanted to prove that I really didn't need to do it. Um, part of it was really for myself. I wanted to see if I could. And, honestly, that was the last time that I've done an actual structured hit. I mean, it, that was yeah. 2012. Wow. Um, and knowing that I didn't need to do that, I've thought about doing it again. Um, but it's literally just been a thought, and I've never actually done it. Yeah. But, but have mimicked that intensity on, like, a shockwave day or when I tumble. Yeah. Which is, you know, a, a strong power output. So High come, power output. High, yeah, thank you. High power yeah. output. Um, but, you know, instead of doing the cardio, you always recommended walking. Why? Right. I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I couldn't have answered that question correctly. I would have had an answer. But it, I don't, now I realize that answer isn't correct. It does, you know, it does mobilize body fat. But... That really depends on what you're eating and how you're eating and when you last ate. So that's not a blanket statement you can just make, like, yeah. walk, whatever. It Its benefit is that it does use glycogen a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, that can help with insulin sensitivity. You know, that's why they recommend it for diabetics and mm-hmm. things like that. Gotcha. But for me now, the main reason I would rec- recommend walking, particularly over other types of cardio exercise it's really interesting because it turns out to be anabolic in a way very similar to resistance training interesting yeah it has these long you know they're not nearly as high Mm -hmm. but it does have these long lasting synthesis curves and by a long lasting synthesis curve i mean it triggers a low level of muscular growth for the next day or two interesting so what walking does is, A, it uses a little bit of glycogen. Hey, that's great. Mm-hmm. It will mobilize body fat, assuming you haven't had a carb, high-carb meal beforehand. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's great. You know, whatever, everything you do mobilizes body fat. You know, sorry, you can't, you can't really avoid it. When you go to bed at night, you're burning a lot of body fat. But so, you know, either one of those, not, not a huge benefit there. But the, the real benefit, especially if you're trying to lose body fat, is that it helps preserve your muscle tissue. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 
it, it was strange when I was modeling all the different activities and how they affect muscle tissue and stuff like that. Um, when I looked at the results of walking, it just it completely changed my perspective on why everybody should walk, especially as you age. Right. It's going to help you preserve muscle tissue. Super important. Yeah, I just so that that's really the reason to do walking and do it on a regular basis, especially if you're doing if you're training really hard or you're stressed out. It can help prevent any of that stress from you know bleeding over into catabolizing muscle or eating your muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Which basically. I'm, so, I'm glad that you mentioned because it's it. I mean, then there's the, the mental component, emotional component of it. Yeah. Um, and it, I find that to be very therapeutic on multiple levels for clients, um, you know, whether they're just trying to lose some body fat um, or they're preparing to get on stage where there's a lot of extra added stress yeah, in just, that adventure. Um, it's it's just very therapeutic. Yeah. Most, just, nobody ever complains that they don't feel good after walking, at least none of my people. Well, there's... You know, there's sex, sex of S-E-C-T-S. Okay. <laughs> Sects of um, Buddhist monks, they're, they're Theravedic Buddhism, and they do walking meditation. Mm-hmm. And that can be part of your regimen. I used to do that. Um, you know, I've had some major tragedies in my life in the past, and that was really helpful when I found my I was in a really bad, dark place. You know, I would go out for a walk, but every so often I would stop and I would really focus on every step that I took. And, of course, I was walking really slow mm-hmm. and it attracted some attention. Luckily, I was in a neighborhood where there weren't a lot of people walking around, but <laughs> it did attract attention. But at the same time, it really took away all the stress, all the negativity that I was experiencing. And it it was unique to me, like sitting meditations never worked for me. I've never gotten anything out of it. And mm-hmm. actually they have studies that for most, for, well, it's 50-50. Some people get benefit and mm-hmm. some people actually it makes their mental processes worse. Oh, interesting. I get kind of um, antsy. Yeah. It, it's it's not a cure-all, even though it's, you know, a lot of people are pitching it. It's, it's not. It's 50-50. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody that it doesn't work for, being in motion and having that fine-tuned attention to motion like physical motion can really impact your internal emotional life. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you an escape from that that is really difficult to get away from in other ways. Uh, so, you know, uh, walking's got a ton of benefits. Um, I would say the main benefit, though, is it's A, it keeps you in motion, but B, it has this anabolic component that will keep you healthy without taxing your system in any way whatsoever. It's that would be the main benefit. Works for me. I'm sold. And uh, actually, the I visited my grandparents at their retirement community not too long ago. And there's a, a woman that I've known over the years from visiting them. And she's 95. And she is amazing um, in her. I mean, she doesn't look 95. She looks younger than 50% of the people that are there. Yet she's like the third oldest one. And yet she's one of the very few who doesn't have a walker or a cane. And she just cruises. And her, and I asked her, like, what do you do? What do you do? She was like, I literally just, I've always been a walker and I walk. And it's part of my routine every day. And it's yeah. clearly working for her. 
Yeah. I, I, I imagine seeing her, you know, in another five years and on her 100th birthday and she's like carrying her own cake in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I said the, the way we age, we talked about this on an earlier podcast, the way we age is not natural. Mm-hmm. Well, you, there's no physiological reason that you have to fall apart as you get older. There's just, there's not. <laughs> and I'm all in control now. I can laugh, live forever. Yeah. Well, or not... at least live as long as I want as in as healthy of a way as possible. Not only that, like visually. Yeah. I mean, you can true. keep it. Imagine if there's some simple way to keep the inside of your body young and healthy as you age, then guess what? That shows up on the outside too. It's true. It's you know, true. you look young and healthy for much greater extended periods mm-hmm. of time. Which, I mean, for a lot of people, saying that in and of itself can be a seller. Oh, my gosh. I, look younger or, you know, don't look older. Yeah, stay young forever. Yeah. I, literally, <laughs> I, that's, that is well within our capability, and we mm-hmm. don't have to wait for Google's Calico project to decipher the human <laughs> DNA and come up with a way to extend our life. You can start doing it today. You can just, like, stop aging today. It's like, pfft, you know, why not take that option? I mean, like... You know, let Google, well, I would rather Google spend their billions on something else more useful, but, you know, they can spend their billions and then come up with the same answer. Oh, well, yeah, all of our research says eat this way and you'll just not age anymore. Mm -hmm. Where do I sign up? (laughs) Where's my shopping list? (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we're on the cusp of the world changing, Mm -hmm. I hope, or at least... We're on the cusp of your world changing. There you go. And hopefully that <laughs> that bleeds over into into the rest of the world. But at the very least, your world will change. You will start to look at everything differently. Yep. Agreed. I mean, mine has. It's only been seven years. But I'm continuing to have my mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> week by week. And it's just more exciting. You know? Yeah. There's hope. So. And I'm sure the information will spread It, it will. Yeah. It, I mean, just thinking back from when... You know, like I said, it was it was so brand new mm-hmm. when I was introduced to it. Carb backloading didn't exist or didn't have a name, at least. Well, carb night was and actually kind of old. I just never. But nobody talked about <laughs> right. it. Nobody knew about but it. But to what you know, from then to what it is now, <laughs> and who knows about it, and how many people utilize it, and sort of that the door that it's opened, yeah, is significant. Well, there's like a hundred different books that are all carb night, carb basically. Night, now, basically, yeah. yeah, it's true. It's true. So. I hope that answered um, some of your longing questions regarding HIT, its placement, how to use it, um, if it's for you or not. And uh, thank you for joining me on the show and explaining a little bit more of that to everybody. Of course. My pleasure. I'm going to come up with some really good questions for him for next time, (laughs) if I can get him to come back on. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Her Body, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Her Body on Body IOFM with your host, Alex Navarro. And if you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.